Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I am listening to my wife back out of the driveway. Hold on. It's a beautiful sound. Her RAV4 is in reverse. Okay. It is vanishing from sight. Okay. She's headed to yoga. Okay. One daughter at summer camp, another daughter at daycare. Big Daddy on the mic, ready to record for the first time in a while. Home alone, and this is what I choose to do? Either this is an insane choice or a smart one. Hi, everybody. What's new? What's really new with you? Is it same old, same old? (laughs) When someone asks you that, what's new? Is it same old, same old, or is there something new right now in your world? You feeling good? You feeling shitty? Both are acceptable answers. You're a human. You feeling good? Are you feeling awful? Both very acceptable. You feeling a little sad after reading about Pee Wee? He died. Pee Wee Herman died. How associated with one character, one singular character, can you be that when you die, people say the character died? That was the headline. Pee Wee Herman died. His name was Paul Rubens. Okay? I'll say it right now. We all need to say it. His name was Paul Rubens, but whenever you saw him pop up in another movie, you'd be like, Pee-wee. Like, you remember Blow with Johnny Depp? He was in it. And you were just like, whoa, Pee-wee. Maybe Michael Richards is Kramer, but who is that connected to one single character? And not just any character, a great character. Pee-wee's Playhouse was the best, Okay. The best. And I'm talking about a kid from the 80s who didn't like cartoons. I know. Very rare. I think the only cartoons I've ever liked are The Simpsons for a few years, Family Guy for a few years, South Park, the adult cartoons with adult content. But I was not a little kid watching cartoons on Saturday mornings. Instead, I like Pee Wee's Playhouse with Lawrence Fishburne, with Phil Hartman, with Jimmy Smits. Honestly, look at the cast. It's crazy to think how many stars came from Pee Wee's Playhouse, but it was so damn good. It was so damn good. Pee Wee's Playhouse. Mecca, like a high, Mecca, hiney, ho. You remember Pee Wee's Playhouse Saturday mornings? And then I think Saved by the Bell was Saturday mornings, and then wrestling came on Saturday mornings, and all my friends are watching Snorks and Smurfs, and I'm saying, I'm good. They're watching the Jetsons and Hanna Barbera, and they're watching all sorts of Heathcliff and Garfield, and I just want to see Pee Wee with the big foil ball or the rubber band ball. And I liked his laugh and I liked his house, and I liked his chair, and I liked his floor, and I liked his movie, The Big Adventure, Searching for That Stolen Bike, and I did not like when he got caught beating off in a movie theater. I didn't like that. So when I say, how could one person be so connected to one character? Also, how could one person be so connected to one masturbation session? I know he did it in a theater. I know, you shouldn't do that. Ever, not just today. Like today, people go, what are you doing that in a theater for? It's available on your phone. You went to a porno theater and then pleasured yourself and then got arrested and then your mugshot was all over the magazines that scared a little boy named Josh Rosenberg because he thought you were really Pee Wee Herman and not a guy who beats off in a movie theater. No one should be a guy who beats off in a movie theater. But if you are a guy that beats off in a movie theater, you really should not be known for just that, right? The man lived a whole life. He lived a whole life. Paul Rubens was a man. He was probably a well-rounded man. He had feelings. There were days where he was sad. There were days where he was happy. 
And unfortunately, he lost his battle with cancer that he didn't tell anybody about at age 70. So it is a really sad ending. You know, here's a comedian. He started with the groundlings. Here's a comedian who wasn't able to laugh at himself because he was sad. So he didn't share the news. So it comes out now and people are like, what? He was sick. He had cancer. Yeah, no one knew because a lot of comedians can laugh at their ailments and they can laugh at themselves in many ways until it reaches a point where they're just like, this isn't funny. I don't think anyone has to know what's going on in my world. So rest in peace, Pee Wee. Speaking of revealing something about yourself, something super sad about yourself, and then being able to laugh about yourself. If you have Apple TV, I just finally got Apple TV, but the Michael J. Fox documentary is so good. It's so sentimental. It's so sad, but he was diagnosed with Parkinson's in his late 20s, and he waited about seven or eight years to finally tell people. Think about those seven years where he was concealing his shaking hand or certain movements of his face or how he would stumble when he walked, and he was concealing it because he had a rhythm to it. He knew when he would shake, so he'd make it act like he was intentionally moving it or checking his watch. It was just a science behind how he would conceal it, but then when he revealed it, he was able to laugh at it. You saw him go on all these shows from Letterman to Leno, making jokes about it and even curb your enthusiasm when he shook up the soda for Larry. And he learned to laugh about it and he still can. He has a lot of humor in his life. He has a lot of support. He has a lot of love from his family. If you haven't seen it, the Michael J. Fox documentary is so damn good. It's a movie within itself. Like the way it's produced is perfect. It's a perfect documentary, a 10 out of 10. But because he learned to laugh at it, I think he's able to deal with it. Whereas Pee-wee, if you can't tell the public, hey folks, I have cancer and life is hard, then that much just wear away. At least for me, I can't bottle anything up. I have to express myself. I'm a sharer. Obviously, I'm doing this podcast. I'm a sharer. But some people, they just keep it in. And those are the people when you say, hey, how you doing? They go, fine, same old, same old. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? No, you're not. We're not always good. We're allowed to tell people, actually, not so great. And it doesn't mean you need a therapist. It doesn't mean... You just have to talk people's ears off about all the things in your life. But it's okay to tell some people once in a while, friends, family, whoever is in your world that, you know what? I'm struggling. And then there's some weird science behind how that makes you feel better. Just saying your problem out loud. There's weird science with Kelly LeBrock. What happened to her? But there's weird patterns of our behaviors that we'll never understand. I mean, we could read books like Sapiens and understand how we've evolved and our thinking patterns. We could read about psychology and self-help books about the patterns of our ways, but really we're like clueless a lot of the time. We're clueless because I think for two reasons. Number one, we barely understand our upbringing, right? Those first four years when you don't have memories and you're being shaped and then that all comes back to haunt you. Later in life, when you're like, why do I feel this sometimes? It's probably unresolved traumas. You, know, you enter the world so pure, and then the world has some challenges. And then when those catch up with you and you start to realize, oh, maybe that was unhealthy. Maybe that phase of life was unhealthy. Maybe that person in my life was toxic. Then you start to piece together your life like it's a puzzle. And then there's the stuff you don't understand about our species, sapiens altogether. Like, why do people drink? If I just asked you that, why do people drink? Why do people drink this poison called alcohol? Why do people celebrate pretty much every event? Not everybody, but most of the people that, you know, most of the adults, you know, probably drink socially, moderately, 
or a good amount or a lot or suffer from alcohol addiction or alcoholism, right? I mean, you probably know one or two people that just abstain, not because they're sober, but just have decided, I'm not going to drink. I'm an adult who's not going to drink. But why do most people drink? Do you know? Have you ever even cared to understand it? It turns a lot of good people into wobbly people. It turns a lot of healthy people into battling diseases, brain diseases, cirrhosis, anxiety, depression, erratic behaviors, inability to drive a vehicle, not able to control moods. Why would people drink a poisonous substance? Sure, it's in the form of maybe something that's on TV that looks fun, like beer, or maybe you're on a wine-tasting trip throughout Napa, Sonoma, and it's fun, and it seems regal and fancy, and oh, this is a wonderful varietal. Or maybe you're boozing at a country concert and having some whiskeys with your friends, and it's packaged in a way where everyone's doing it and feels good in the moment, right? I understand. There's a lot of follow the leader. If you have an older sibling who made it look cool or you see it in pop culture and it looks cool, you follow the lead. You follow the lead. We're all sheep. We follow the lead. But why? Trace it back millions of years. I had to know. I think I've been confused for 15 years. Honestly. Honestly, I've been confused. Why do people do this? And there's a lot of theories. Even if I ask you right now, what comes to mind? Why do you think people drink alcohol? Why hasn't it been filtered out by evolution? Something that creates so much disease and struggle. And we're in a country that even tried to prohibit alcohol. What did they call that period when they tried to prohibit alcohol? What was it called again? I forget. Oh yeah, prohibition. The history of prohibition is crazy, right? Because our country drinks. Kate Julian is a writer with The Atlantic. And if you've never read this article, it's called America Has a Drinking Problem from a couple of years ago. It answered all of my questions. It was an article I wanted to discuss for days with my wife and some of my friends, just breaking it down. Look at us. We still do this. We have people who arrive at a restaurant to celebrate something. People celebrating weddings and birthdays and graduations and quinceaneras and bar mitzvahs and birthdays and celebrating everything by what? Getting sloshed? Getting wobbly? Slurring your speech? Eventually, I mean, if you take it to that level... There are so many events, from concerts to ball games, you name it, where it's just expected. It's readily available. You're going bowling, have some beers. You're playing pool, have some beers. Movie theaters now sell alcohol. Golf course, have some beers. Here comes the cart driver. Cart girl wants to know, what are you having? Nothing. <gasps> What's wrong with you? What's wrong? Nothing? You're having nothing? What's wrong with you? Well, the article in The Atlantic, it was so long. And I only know this because I don't even have a subscription to The Atlantic, but it let me listen to the article on a road trip back from Pismo Beach, and it took 42 minutes to listen to an article. So I don't have the article in front of me. I barely remember most of the article. But two of the points that stood out, number one, America's drinking too much right now. With the pandemic, you're forced to shut down, stay indoors, and Americans are drinking alone more than ever. Lonely drinkers. It's not as social as it used to be. And the reporter also talked about liquor is its own beast, like beer and wine, fermentation, that process, some people's relationship with it, like it's something with dinner in certain countries or something that you don't overhype by saying once you're 21, the forbidden substance that then the floodgates open and you're 21. So go tie one on in America. We really stigmatize alcohol. At a young age, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, you don't touch it. 21, hey, celebrate, cement mixer. 
stoplight, buttery nipple, Washington apple, gummy bear shot, 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 shots. Blackout, no memory. Did you have fun last night? Did you have fun? Did I have fun? No, I don't think so. That's America right now. Think of every college campus, how wet every college campus is right now because all these kids that were in their parents' homes are finally out. They're finally out. And what do they do? I don't even have to tell you, but these parties are pretty wet. Not every decision being made at night on a college campus is a good decision. That's, I don't know, is that American? Is that an American thing? No, but the article kind of centers on how Americans are drinking nowadays, and the answer is a lot. There's a lot of stats. I don't have to get too deep into that, but the most fascinating thing was maybe we're powerless. You know, if you're like, no, I got my drinking under control. I know what I'm doing just on the weekends or just one or two a night. The idea is, yeah, but do you know why you do that? Is it to unwind? Is it to de-stress? Is it to socialize, to be a little more uninhibited? What are you drawn to? Or are you unsure about why you have a taste for that and why you have a desire? Because I've been confused. And it turns out just like our human desire for sex and eating fast food, it's coupled in there with booze because you trace it back millions of years to the earliest primates on earth. And this part, I need to Google right now, so hold on. All right, here it is. So there is an enzyme that we are able to digest. ADH4. We're able to digest alcohol and even appreciate this ethanol effect and some words I can't pronounce. But why would this be in our genes? From an evolutionary standpoint, primates started using alcohol because it rewarded their ability to tolerate it and had substantial benefits like getting fat and happy. And if a great challenge for a species, now I'm just going to read it straight from the article, is not starving to death and trying to find enough sustenance to survive, you burn a lot of fuel just trying to stay alive back then millions of years ago. So alcohol guaranteed a more precious, caloric, fermented lifestyle. So drinking a bunch of alcohol, waiting on those grapes to hit the ground and ferment, you were able to take in more calories than if you just ate those grapes immediately, apparently. So it was a survival strategy as these ancient tree shrews, these primates preferred to get calories from fermented fruit nectar than from anything else. This is interesting, right? That this is still a part of our genetic makeup, whether we know it or not. Like, why are we drawn to this when clearly it's not good? It's not good for you. Most people could read these articles and say, fine, I'm still going to drink. You can learn all the facts about it. And you're still going to drink here and there, whatever your drinking habits are. It's the most widely consumed intoxicant on earth. Over a trillion dollars are spent worldwide to get that buzz. Fermented palm nectar. Being drawn to the smell, being drawn to the feeling because it represented survival. And isn't that what we're all trying to do today is just survive. So the fermented syrup produced by these fruits and trees were high in sugar. The plants themselves were friendly to yeast, which each plant possessed. I don't know if I'm explaining this well anymore. But yeah, just think primates used alcohol as a cheat code for staying fat and happy and surviving. And they understood this. And then they probably also enjoyed 
the hot monkey love, and the big party nights in the trees that went along with it. Basically, you hear this, you can read this, see the stats, how many people drink, and it's so common you don't even question it. But then if you see the damage, you might start to question it. And this isn't just alcoholism, like, oh, is it a part of me? But there are people who are just like somewhat addicted. That's why dry January is so popular now. I heard Pete Holmes talking about that. Needs to be more of a challenge. Americans need to be more challenged with their sobriety. Sober curious, some people are. As if to wonder, can I stop? Can I curb it? Everyone listening to this podcast knows someone that has struggled with alcohol. Everyone listening right now. Absolutely everyone, including Michael J. Fox, which I never knew, but he revealed during that documentary I just talked about. How many good-natured, healthy people have had their lives completely destroyed by this substance? That is all over TV ads, ball games, grocery stores. We're inundated. I mean, we're flooded with the images. And I'll admit, it looks good to me. When you go into a bar, every bottle just glows off the shelf. It all looks good to me. We took a trip to Napa this summer. Those vineyards are stunningly beautiful. I mean, wine tasting today, it's not just like a little mom and pop winery. Hey, come on in down the dirt road. Knock on the door. We'll pour you some cab. No. Now it's reservations months in advance. A $35 tasting led by a sommelier who studied in France. And what are we doing? We're just packaging it in a fancy way, but it's just boozing. It's just boozing. Drive through Napa, Sonoma, Paso Robles. just talking about booze how do you fight that you find fulfillment in so many other areas from mindfulness to meditation to fitness if you're using alcohol to de-stress well you can google ways to de-stress and it's harder it's harder to commit to the list of things if you google how do i de-stress and aside from alcohol it's harder to do all of those things so it's a crutch for a lot of people it's just an easy crutch that's highly acceptable in society no one's going to question you if you say you have a couple each night Or if you have some on the weekends. No one's ever going to question that. But then when you look at the stats, you wonder, why aren't people questioning this shit? I'm finally questioning it. Just because I've seen my species, sapiens, struggle with it. And when it's introduced to you, it's so fun. I mean, I was young, probably 15, 16. When drinking a 40 ounce on the weekend by a creek was just so fun. Or filling up a backpack full of liquor from a parent's cabinet. And going to find a park in high school with friends and giggle and laugh and scream and listen to music and jump around, jump around. It's fun. And then when does it become less fun? The very next day. So why would anyone continue if it's right there in your face? And that's also in this article. Why are people who are suffering, their whole bodies shut down when they overindulge? Their bodies shut down. Your head hurts. Your brain hurts. Your inability to function, it's just shutting your whole system down. And then if enough time goes by, you're back. You're back on the mechanical bull. It's senseless. It's just one of those senseless things. And I think I have to accept it because there's so many things that don't make much sense. But you just accept it. You go, that's our wiring. I guess that's what evolution turned us into. And I guess this is the game we'll play. It's like AI. Who cares what your opinion is on it? I don't even care to have discussions about artificial intelligence. It's coming. It'll be incorporated into our world. It'll change us all. I think it's because humans don't like to make mistakes and we're trying to create some software. We've already created some robotics. I'm just using words, folks. Robotics and software, you could clearly 
tell I don't understand AI, but it's coming, it's here, it's going to change our lives, everything from the arts to the world of science, transportation, how we eat, how we think, how we communicate, it's all going to change and people are going to say it's improving everything because we don't want to make mistakes. We're clearly flawed. But I also realize I don't care to talk about it that much. Some people are so excited with ChatGPT and hey, have you heard what we're going to be able to do? I don't care. I mean, it's coming. You know, for the Luddites during the Industrial Revolution that wanted to destroy the looms, fuck the looms. What do you mean you're going to stitch our clothes and towels and curtains quicker no we like to be hand stitched we like to spend our time making shoes what do you mean factory made shoes the luddites who wanted to destroy the factories we don't like this idea you could fight it luddites but it's still coming you don't have to enjoy it but it's still coming you luddites who are soon gonna have to shop at mervyn's where your clothes were stitched by machines and your grandma, who used to stitch everything, was put out of a job. How many of you listening right now are going to be put out of a job one day because of AI? Raise your hand, all of us, right? We're probably going to lose a job and then have to take a job in a different field because we'll have to learn about AI. You can't be AI illiterate anymore. By the time I'm in my 50s, 60s, 70s, everything I'm doing right now will be obsolete, so I'm going to have to learn it. But right now, it's not fun to talk about. Why are you talking about it right now? Good point. Subject change i was golfing the other day hadn't golfed for five years and folks i'm decent i'm not good i said decent but i'm not bad okay and when i go golf it's four hours outdoors so it's always healthy even if you're playing poorly it's always healthy to go golfing and my equipment sucks and i can barely focus on some holes and i get tired quickly and i went out with my buddy oscar a fellow teacher at tl and i thought maybe they'll just let us go out as a twosome but no, we walked up to the tee and a guy with his sweet wife comes up to us, shakes our hands and says, hey, I'm Saul. This is Linda. We'll be playing with you. And I was so down on myself in that moment because I wasn't excited to meet Saul and Linda. I wasn't excited to meet him because I just wanted to get around the 18 holes with Oscar and catch up with Oscar. But instead, we're driving, by the way, they're walking, and here's the best part. Saul and Linda are 84 years old from Houston, Texas. You get to know people throughout 18 holes, and they're the sweetest people. Not only were they kind and nice and respectful and funny and fun and all these great things that I admire, but they were good. They didn't have one bad shot. Here, I'm just spraying the ball around the course. What did you shoot, Josh, a 94? So it was a decent round for me because if I'm in the 90s, I'm fine. My buddy Oscar, not so good, folks. Not so good. He needs a swing coach. And is he going to be upset that I said that on the podcast? No, he doesn't listen. So Saul and Linda are playing A-plus golf because they've probably been playing for 60 years. They're amazing. And the conversation's good. And I was like, what is with me where I don't want to meet Saul and Linda? And realizing that these people, you know, from the Bronx originally got a job with Standard Oil in Texas and moved the family. And now they were visiting grandkids in Marin County. I was like, wow, I like to hear other people's stories. I got to put faith in humanity that there's more good people than shitty people out there. Like if you're going to get paired up at a golf course, chances are they'll probably be pretty cool. Pretty nice people. At least that's all of my experiences ever playing golf. I've never played with a bunch of assholes. And that's a good reminder. That even though a lot of tweets and a lot of stories in the news are negative about bad people, villains, or elevating people as heroes, there's a lot of people that are just right in the middle. Good, decent folks. Salt of the earth. Can I say salt of the earth? A lot of salt of the earth folks out there who are just kind of normal. That's all I know about Saul and Linda. They're good golfers from Houston in their 80s, but they seem to be in love still. It's kind of inspiring. 
They make you go, aw. You look at old people sometimes, you go, aw. And then my aw turned into, damn, Linda off the tee again. Crushed it. 84-year-old woman crushing it off the tee. God, I should have filmed this. But you don't want to film strangers nowadays. You just, you can tell a story with your words. You don't have to just film everything. Although, speaking of filming everything, there's an invisible prank challenge that my wife just showed me. I don't think we've laughed that hard in a while. Invisible danger prank where you just go up to someone in the house and start screaming and making it look like there's danger coming. And their reaction, the person who is not in on it, they don't know what's happening. They freak the fuck out like you've never seen people freak out and it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Just Google it, YouTube it. That's the type of stuff you have to actually watch. You know, you don't just want to take my word for it, but watch these people who think danger is coming and then ask yourself, how would you react if you felt danger was coming, but you couldn't see it? Invisible danger. If someone was freaking out and telling you, move, get out of the way, get down. You would look so foolish and it'd be so great. It'd be so great. But you don't need to film everything. Tell this to the Eastern European families. At least they sound like they have Russian accents. Have you seen this for kids videos? It's time to filter some of these YouTube videos. All right. This is a bad parenting alert and then a good parenting alert. When my girls are watching some videos, you know, once in a while, it's okay. It's okay. I know no screen time, less screen time is all of our goals, but sometimes we got to keep our sanity so the screens go on. And I have a habit of not watching what's on their screens. Why? Because I'm probably on my own screen. Whereas my wife keeps an ear open and she's like, are you watching this? And the answer is always, no, I'm not watching this. It's always like a blonde mom and some dad with little kids in costumes, in a house with white walls and so many toys and so much candy. And they're doing nothing but playing with toys and eating candy and then translating the words below on the screen. And it just captures the attention of a five-year-old and a two-year-old who live with me, my two little roommates. It captures their attention. But then we're realizing this is not educational. This is not stimulating for the brain in any ways. It's probably making us all dumber. Salads and peanuts, peanuts, cookie, elephant, jawbreaker, gummy, tush, toilet, salad, everybody, hamburger, jawbreaker, candy, lollipop, and circus clown. It's a great time for people in the trees. Can't believe there's chocolate on my knees. Caramel puppy, princess fairy spider bite, it's a good time. And my wife's like, are you watching any of this? Pancakes for pillows, candy all the time. Eastern European accent as I try to rhyme. And I don't know how much money these families are making. It seems exploitative. Let's be honest. If you're just filming your kid in costumes... And making millions upon millions because you're getting a lot of clicks. That's a little exploitative, right? A little opportunistic. I mean, it's not a crime. Hopefully you share that money with them one day. It's the old child actor syndrome. You thought I was going to circle back to Michael J. Fox, but he wasn't quite a child actor. He was in high school, if you must know. He was in high school, Canadian, who joined the drama club and then his career accelerated quickly. I mean, by the time... He was cast on Family Ties. It was only a couple of years before Teen Wolf and Back to the Future were coming out in the same year, and he was launched, but he met his wife on the set of Family Ties, and please watch this documentary because this is a wonderful woman who's still with him by his side, supporting him through every step and stage of the Parkinson's disease. But back to these Russian, Eastern European families, you can't, you can't let your kids watch this. Here I am telling you how to parent. Don't tell me how to parent. 
don't tell me how to parent. I won't. You can parent the way you want. But haven't you overheard some shitty parents? You know, parents that threaten their kids at all times. We're going to leave. These parents who are not going to leave, they're just empty threats. We are going to leave if you continue this. We're going to leave. Those parents, I don't like the we're going to leave threat. Why? Because your kid's loud? Because your kid's being a kid? I mean, you could try to parent to the best of your abilities, but sometimes kids are just going to spaz out and be loud and be four, five, six, however old they are and the threat. We're going to leave if you continue this. I always hate hearing that. I've heard that a lot lately. Angry parents. But then again, I'm just seeing the tail end of it. Maybe it was a full day. Maybe it was a full day of that bubbling lava and I'm just watching the volcano erupt. If you ever see a parent erupt on their kid, that's probably not the first incident of the day, right? It's probably been about 24, 48 hours of that little demon not listening and being too loud. And breaking shit around the house. And disrespecting everyone. And then I see the threat. We're going to leave this concert in the park. And I go, oh, this parent, what are they doing? So I guess you can see both sides. Hey, both sides, two narratives. Isn't that how we should study history? Multiple narratives. Not just what was condensed in the textbook when 30 years are crunched into three sentences. And you go, that's a heavy little paragraph. Wow, they fit the 1940s into pages 333 through 335 and then answer these questions. And then did you learn it? Did you learn history that way? Uh, no, but I guess I had to cram my brain for a test. When do you start enjoying history? I don't know. For me, probably honestly, when I started teaching history. And now the way I like to read about history is within the realm of a comedian describing their life. I like memoirs, memoirs. I'm reading the Ricky Henderson book right now, Howard Bryant. It's so good, but the first 50 pages are all about the history of Oakland, which I was so curious about. I knew nothing about Oakland. You drive through Oakland today, you go, how did it become this? It's like Gotham City in some parts of Oakland. Oakland has become such a slum in some areas. It's fine in other areas. All right. I know some people just love the town and I kind of love the town, but there's some areas where you go, what happened? What happened? And Howard Bryant has captured what happened in this Ricky Henderson book, which is not about baseball yet. It's just about the history of the Great Migration and redlining and all these fascinating and sad racist topics that you're like, how, how could this happen? And now it's 2023 and very little. Let's be honest. Very little is being done. All right. These politicians who all campaign with, I have the solution. I have the answer. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have the solution. You don't have the answer. You have a lot of gel in your hair and a suit and a tie and a lot of people holding posters and chanting your name at a rally, but you don't have an answer, right? You're just playing the same game that every politician's playing. But it's amazing how many people can be convinced during a campaign or during the early stages of a campaign that, you know what? I found the candidate that really reflects my ideals and my values and my belief system. I don't know if I've ever found a candidate like that where I would go to a rally and hold a sign and scream and cheer. But you see it a lot. They fill stadiums. Oh, human behavior that confuses me. Social norms that are acceptable throughout the years that confuses me. I guess I do live in a confused state, but I've accepted it. That's the key. Accept it. Accept it. You know, when I hear people are so upset about something, and it's systemic, and you could... Be an activist. You could do some community service and volunteer your time, which is amazing and it's commendable. But if you don't see enough change within your lifetime and that causes you to live a miserable life, perhaps there has to be some level of acceptance. Even the shittiest of shitty things 
you kind of have to accept at some point. That's a tough thing to swallow. That's a tough pill to swallow. And how many pills do I swallow a day? Riboflavin, magnesium, Epicor for immunity, lysine for skin and gums, Levoxythyroxine for my hypothyroid. I think I have an enlarged prostate. I got a blood test today. I went to the lab today at Kaiser. My wife was watching me take pills today. I'm only 41. I take a lot of pills. And these aren't like prescriptions. These aren't like, you know, true meds that are prescribed, but it's just like, I'll go to CVS, write it, and I'll swipe some shelves. Okay, folks? And you should be taking magnesium too. Gummy zinc, why not? I haven't gotten sick all summer ever since we got away from the mold and they, what's the word, remediated our house. I haven't been sick. I haven't been sick. I was sick 13, 14 times this past year, and now I'm feeling good. Don't you hear it? Don't I sound healthy right now? How can I prove that? How can I prove how healthy I am in this moment. I've already been to the Y. I've already showered with the old men at the Y. I've been in the sauna. I've been in the hot tub. I've lifted, lifted, I've lifted some weights. I lifted some weights. I shot some hoops with some varsity ballers. Okay, folks, I did some dips. All right. I'm going to watch the Steph Curry documentary. And I'm so excited for that. On Apple TV, I went to Red Dragon Yoga and did a class that kicked my ass to the point where I'm like, I shouldn't do classes like that because it wasn't yoga. I don't know if it was called Pilates, but it was just someone telling me to pulse and dip and grab those weights and pulse and dip and get on your mat. And my wife bought me a $7 mat from Grocery Market Bargain Outlet, and it's a good mat, but it got slippery, so I was slipping all over the place, and there weren't many men in this class. Red Dragon Yoga in Santa Fe, has anyone ever heard of this place? It's amazing. They turned up the heat to the point where I was like, I'm going to faint. I'm going to wake up with a circle of human faces above me saying, is he okay? Is he okay? Is he okay? If that ever happens to you, that's the scariest shit ever, right? Blinking yourself to consciousness as a circle of human heads are saying, is he okay? Is, it, is he okay? Has it happened to me? Yeah, it's happened to me a few times, okay? It's not a good feeling, but it didn't happen at Red Dragon Yoga. That's where my wife is right now. She's going to come home with such a red face, just like me, so sore, so sore. Where's your soreness every morning getting out of the bed? Where's your soreness right now back of the thigh and calves? And I'm pretty sure my brain's swollen. I don't want to do the classes anymore. The classes are a little much, all right? All these people that do all the classes, from spinning what's it soul cycle to orange theory you've surpassed me i just i like my lane i like elliptical slow elliptical where i read next to an old fellow who gives me a wink because old fellows can still wink i can't wink if you're in your 40s you wink at someone no 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 no. that's alarming but if you're an old fella and you walk by me at the y because you want to do a set on the lat pull downs and you wink at me (laughs) i just go (laughs) that's charming that's a charming wink from an older feller but I can't wink at someone. The wink is extinct. All right, what did we cover? Alcohol. We definitely covered alcohol, but I didn't even get to the article because I'm not an Atlantic subscriber, so I didn't really reference enough of that article. Oh, that's also a topic where there's no solution. America's not going to curb this alcohol problem either. Every other ad is making booze look so good. Have you noticed every show you watch The lead character drinks in a way where it looks charming like the old man winking. Even for my 40th birthday, I was like trying to envision what's the perfect, it already came and went, but what would be the perfect party? And I was like Gatsby style martinis, someone on the piano, everyone dresses up, martinis, the conversation is good, martinis, you got a good, good playlist, martinis, shaking up martinis and martinis and martini glasses are beautiful. And why are they beautiful to my eyes? I have no 
clue. You can't serve a martini in a coffee mug. It's not even a drink. That wouldn't even be appealing. But a martini with an olive, a couple olives or onions on a toothpick, it's a beautiful sight to my eyes. Why? I don't know. Why is a puppy good looking to my eyes? I don't know. Why is the sight of waves crashing at a beach beautiful to my eyes? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever you're drawn to sexually, why are you drawn to that? You don't know. You don't know. What do you want to be reincarnated as? That's a different question altogether. I think that's uh, off-topic tangent. But for me, probably a hummingbird. Why? Because everyone looks at a hummingbird and they love it. Name someone that doesn't love looking at a hummingbird. When they come into a yard, everyone goes, oh, oh, hum- hummy, hummingbird, and everyone looks. No one goes, who gives a shit? No one says who gives a shit when a hummingbird comes into a yard or an outdoor setting. That's it. I want to, that's how needy my ego is. I want to be a hummingbird where everyone's like, oh, we love it. We love the sight of this. All right, enough. Click like. What, what am I talking about? Click like on this. There's no click like. Give me a good rating, huh? Give me a good review. And if you don't, that's fine too. I still love you. I really do. Thanks for listening to this mess. That's episode 216. It's now in the books. I'll talk to you soon. You're missing Nowhere man